And that is the Word of God, revelation of our wonderful Lord and Savior. And so often I preach this, but we'll take different views and, and maybe different scriptures. But if you've been here for any length of time, you'll understand that what we believe is that it all points to him. That the Bible's not about you, it's about him. It's not about your life, it's about his life and what he can do in us. Amen. And so I want to talk about the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ again. Uh, several Sundays ago, we started on that, uh, talked about the Old Testament and some of those things. But if you'll go with me over uh, to the book of um, Isaiah, I want to read a scripture that's just so familiar, and we do quote quite a bit. But I just want to take part of this uh, ninth chapter and the six, just the sixth verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Or in the Hebrew, that would be Abiad or Father of Eternity. The Prince of Peace. Now the seventh verse starts this way. And of the increase, of the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Of the increase, I think that goes along with this idea of the preceding word, or in other word, progressive revelation. The increase of who he is and the increase of his government, the increase of the understanding of him. Now I want to read out of the New Testament in the um, book of 1 Timothy and the third chapter and 16th verse. Some of you turn to there. Your Bible should just turn there. I mean, we're, we go there quite a bit. So just sometimes you get in your Bible and you got some pages stuck together. That's because you haven't opened there in a long time. So I hope your page isn't stuck together on this one right here. And uh, the 16th verse, and confessedly, uh, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in flesh. Looking back now, God was manifested in flesh, was justified in spirit, was seen of angels, was proclaimed among the nations, was believed in the world, and was taken up in glory. Who was? God was. Amen. For a little while, we're going to talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you're bored with that, I've been listening to a guy that, um, for various reasons, because he's done a lot of prophesying about end times and different things. But I've been listening to him, and he, he says this, and I don't know if this is good or not, but it does clear the air. If you don't like the revelation of Jesus Christ, you probably have the wrong church. That's, that's kind of the kind of stuff he says. So I thought I'd share that with you this morning. We're all about the Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? Ah, oh, he's my Savior, my Lord. Hallelujah. So let's pray. Lord, we just ask you now, as we get ready to speak your word and anointing upon it, Lord, a elevated discourse something that doesn't come just out of the mind of man, but out of the Spirit of God. Lord, in spirit to spirit, Lord, if we appeal to the flesh, then we touch the flesh. If we appeal to the Spirit, then we touch the Spirit. 
And so we ask you this morning, Lord, that it won't be a fleshly uh, manifestation this morning. It won't be a fleshly experience. But, Lord, it would be a spiritual experience for us as we begin to understand again, as we go over the knowledge and understanding of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that it will be something, Lord, that stirs in our heart afresh and new and carries us and carries us, Lord, as we follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask this question about the birth of Jesus Christ. Was it a one-time blast of full manifestation, or was his birth the first portion of a progressive revelation of him? See, God makes himself known in periods of time. He makes himself known in progression. He makes himself known in process. And that's why I have some fear and doubt about the modern-day evangelistic altar service. Raise your hand. Say a prayer. You're good to go. I just don't find that being parallel with the Scripture at all. Is prayer necessary? Yeah, prayer is necessary. But Jesus said this also. If a man's going to start to build a house, he has to count the cost. Now, being a contractor, I understand all about that. And the Lord was, a, I don't know if he, he probably didn't have a license, but, but he was a builder. And the Lord knew that you don't start something unless you know what it's going to cost you. Following Jesus is going to cost you everything. So, well, can I keep my house? Can I keep my job? Now, let me say it this way. Your life is going to be completely converted and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. The things that you do from there, the the places that you go from there, you're not your own anymore. You are bought with a price. So serve him with all that you are. Now, even the disciples of Jesus, as they traveled with him, understood this idea that, that knowing Jesus, getting to know him, getting to understand him, and to know who he was, was a process of time. It's a process of teaching, a process of learning. For the Pentecostals, uh, I would say that it's easier for us to come up in front, somebody lay hands on us, and we got it. Somebody anoint us, man, if we can just jump and shout, and I'm all for, you know, let's jump and shout at the right time in the right place. And I believe that there is some good in all of that, but to experience the Lord is a process in your life. You're not getting everything this morning. I'm sorry, I know that I'm the great preacher guru that's going to hand you all the things of God, but you're not getting it all this morning. My understanding is so limited, and I only know what God has given me. We walk in the light that we're in. Can you say amen? And we learn, though, we are in the process of experiencing learning and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter said it this way in his second book, third chapter 18. He said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why would Peter say that to the Christian church? Because if you're a Christian, you don't need it, right? You just automatically understand the Lord. You came to the Lord. You accepted the Lord. Now you understand everything about him and draw all these conclusions about him. People are doing it everywhere. They're doing it all in this valley. They're drawing up conclusions of who the Lord is and how he is and, and WWJD, whatever it is, the what would Jesus do, and then I determine what Jesus would do. And the problem is you can't do that if unless you know who he is. And so this, this ongoing experience of growing in a grace and a knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, this word to grow, it just means to increase what we just read out of the book of Isaiah, to continue to become greater in. In other words, 
There is no stopping place in the Christian life when it comes to knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Say, I finally got it. I know him well enough. Okay, and I have been living together for 45 years. Hope I got that right. I know her pretty well. I, I pretty well can think how she's thinking. But we've spent a lot of time together. And at the first of our marriage, I did not know. I like, who was it, Brother, Brother Aaron or, or somebody said the other day that talking about wives that, that you should already know what they think. And if you don't know what they think, it's your fault. And you know, we're kind of to the place, after many, many, many years, I sort of already know if I'm in trouble or not. Just, I just already know that that's not going to work out. But I've spent a lot of time. People think they know the Lord, but they haven't spent the time with Him. They haven't really come to know Him on the level of who He is. And so I continue to preach these kind of messages because I believe that it's imperative that we press, that we press. Paul said, I press towards the mark. I press towards the mark of the, of the, of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press today. I get up tomorrow and I press tomorrow and then next day and then next Sunday and next Wednesday and every time I'm in the house of God, I'm learning to press and press and press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is only one prize. I said, I can't wait to get to heaven, man. I'm going to get the biggest mansion of anybody on my block. If there was such a thing, that's not the prize. I'm going to get, God's going to bless me, and I'm going to get all the things that I never had. This is not the prize. The prize, the reward of the high calling in God is just simply the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. And so we press towards that. We press toward it's my purpose this morning to preach to you to press on into Christ Jesus. I said, Pastor, I know him. I accepted him. He's, he's my Savior, and, and I, I believe in him. But I tell you this morning that you need to press. You need to know. You need to come to know. You need to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace and the knowledge of our Savior. Can everyone say amen? Now, that part was free. Now, we're going to go to his birth. His birth. When we look at the Old Testament, well, I wanted to read Isaiah and just bring that, just that one scripture in. We look at the Old Testament and all that happened. This 4,000 year long journey of prophets and preachers and kings, of priests and old patriarchs, Leaders, even the servant angels of God in the Old Testament. All of these at the birth of Christ, they need to be woke up. They're laying in their graves dead. They have passed on. In the book of Hebrews, it said they died having not seen the promise. And I wonder if God let them see his glory I don't know exactly where they were. We call it heavenly. But could they see that everything that they stood for, everything they were about, dying in this faith, that finally it began to happen. They hadn't received the promise, but that it would happen. And when it does happen, does Isaiah get to look over the portal of heaven, whatever that is, and see that one, that that coming of the Lord Jesus, I hope that they got to see those that prophesied, those that held together all of the course and discourse of God's delivered word and prophetic word that they saw it come to pass in some way. But all of these together 
in the Old Testament, it's all strung together with this golden thread. And I believe that everything that's done there is done in the prophetic truth and insight, not of the individual that's serving God, but rather they are joined together with the thread that weaves in and out of the Old Testament that finally gets us to the birthplace of Jesus Christ. From the Garden of Eden and the fall and the terrible thing that happened there, sin came on us all. From that Garden of Eden to the ark of safety that Noah put together under the instruction of God. And in that ark of safety there, the seed of God was protected and it went on. And they landed on Mount Ararat. But from the garden, the golden thread of what God was doing comes through Ararat. And then goes down to the Ur of Chaldees, there where God found a man, a servant called Abraham, that would become the father of the faithful, that would leave out of that place of sin, leave out of, of, of the Ur of Chaldees where he was born, and go to a place that God had described for him and he began to follow after the Lord and he left the Ur of Chaldees and went to Canaan and that golden thread that runs through the scripture went with him to Isaac and when Isaac needed a bride it went down to the place of his mother's birth and in it came back and then Jacob who was born needed a bride and it went down to Laban's house but it didn't stay there it came back and then down to to Egypt they go, all of the tribes of Israel, down in Egypt, but God went with them. The golden thread of truth and prophetic value was going with each and every one of these as they traveled. The Spirit of God was there threading in them. Also the connection of what would happen and what would come. And then Moses is raised up. Moses, a man of God. Moses, who hears the voice of God. Moses, who will go down to Egypt, and he will bring them up out of Egypt. And that golden thread will follow them, and they will go back to the land of Canaan, the promised land. But before that, up to Mount Sinai, where God will talk to them and give them a tabernacle, and they will build a tabernacle before God. And still, just the prophetic word of God is winding through all of these things. And they will get to the promised land, and there they will occupy, they will kill the giants, they will keep the seed pure before God. The judges, the prophets, the priesthood will make sure that the line and the seed of God will come to pass. And there's a stop at Jesse's house. And there, young David is anointed king. And there, the golden thread of anointing, the golden thread of God's prophetic word passes through the house of Jesse and God will move on David to build him a temple and Solomon his son will build that temple and then then the glory of God will descend in that place the kings the kings will live the kings will rule the kings will cause a split to come in Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But God is in it. And the golden thread of his prophetic word is still at work. And then there will be wars. And then there will be struggles. And then there will be a Babylonish captivity. And then God will bring them back again. And the temple will be raised up one more time. And then they will rebuild Jerusalem. There will be more prophets there will be more priests there will be more prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ pull up this golden thread you're going to pull the Old Testament completely together no one's an individual none of the men of God that traversed in the Old Testament did it on their own power and will. But by the will of God, they become part of the preceding word of God. And that preceding word of God 
It's not about an Old Testament. It's not about a Hebrew nation. It is not about a temple that was raised up. It's not about prophets and seers and writers of an old time. It's about the birth of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who would come. All they did was fill the spots where God would cause them to prophesy, where God would cause them to rule, where God would cause them to judge to keep the line, the seed pure. And then finally, God pulled it all together. Can you say amen? That's a lot of hollering to make a point, but collect all those now. Wow. Old men who were misunderstood. Old men that that walk this path. I think about this when it, in context of, of what's happening in our country right now and just throw this in a little bit. The men of old that set this thing in order. The men of old who brought us a constitution and a bill of rights and, and I think about those men and there's honor to them because of what they did. But when I bring it to 4,000 years of old men and prophets and seers and, and men that were misunderstood, men that were put to death, men that were, the, the scripture said they were, some of them they were sawn in half, some of them they, they just brutally treated the prophets of God and those men even though it looked like in their day that they were, they were not men of God, it looked like the prophecies of God would not come to pass. I want you to know that at the birth of Jesus Christ, we turn that thing around and we look at them and say those men were heroes of the faith. Those men bore the heat of the day. Those men tarried under bad conditions and under hardships. They fought the battles. They're the ones that toiled in the heat of the day. They were mistreated and misunderstood, but they are the heroes of the faith because they brought to us the line of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Without them, where would we be? I believe they deserve honor this morning. Can you say amen? Bring them up. Wake them up. Wake up the dead ages. At least, just let them see into the manger where he lies. At least just let them see that God has become flesh and is going to dwell among us. It's enough. It's enough if the prophet sees his prophecy come to pass. That's enough. It's enough if the high priest who took the blood every year into the Holy of Holies and, and just did that repeatedly over and over and over the sacrifice of the Lamb, but yet the Lamb of God is coming. It's enough. Preachers and pastors, teachers of this day, it is enough that when we have preached this gospel of Jesus Christ, that the revelation of who He is has fell into people's hearts. Don't you think these men now, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob didn't understand, but... But now they look. Abraham, the world will be blessed in your seed. He doesn't understand what that means. But now if he can just get a look in the manger. Somebody say amen. If he can just see the fulfilling of what God has promised, bring him to the manger. Come, let him see. He who was born today, as the angel said, he is born in the city of David, who is the Christ. Don't you know, and I've said this before, it just thrills my heart when I say it though, the angels of God came down from heaven to see the one who was in the manger. They had never seen God in a physical form, the God spirit, but yet they had not seen him. And now they are in, they are in the field with those 
those shepherds, those ones raising sacrifices there and, and the outpouring of God, a sacrifice of his own in the manger. And these angels are shouting. Then it says the multitude began and all the heavens sprung open and a multitude of angels began to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth. God began to show himself. Amen. Those old men and women, heroes of the faith, they, re they deserve respect and honor, but, but their dimension has come to a close. It's almost as a handoff. They brought it this far, and they're done. But the one who's going to receive the baton now is the one who's going to finish the race. Because he's the author and the finisher. And so they're going to bring it to him. And they're going to subside. We have the record. We have the Old Testament. We go back and enjoy everything that's written there and the processes of bringing us to Christ. And but yet now a new kingdom. A new, a new dimension of the kingdom is going to come forward. This little one in the manger, it's going to be the stop of an old and the bringing in of a new. I like the division in our Bible. If you have a Bible this morning, you're going to have a division in there. It may just have one blank page. But the division is between the old and the new testament. And really, testament there, the word means covenant. The old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant has been completed. And at the end, in that blank page in your Bible, the old covenant's over. The old covenant has done its work. The old covenant has brought us to Christ. And now the new covenant, turn that page, and on the other side, the new covenant is going to take place. The new kingdom is coming into order. The new king has come to take his throne and his place. And now all the old things, like Paul said, the scripture about you and I, when we get, when we get saved in Christ... Old things pass away and old things become new. It also works in the divisions of the Testament. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new and all things are of God and of Christ. So what a joy. Now we get into a new thing, a new dimension, a new order of what God's going to do. You shall call his name Jesus. I know that's the English rendering of the Hebrew name Yeshua. But it is an equal rendering. Goes through the Greek New Testament, the Greek word. There his name is Iesus. And that's simply translated for us, Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. You're not going to need to go to the baby books. You're not going to need to talk to grandma and grandpa. What do you think the baby should be called anyway? So, well, why don't you know? A lot of times they named them after, you know, the, the line like we did. We have three rods in that line, and I don't know if Rodney's going to carry that on or not. It becomes confusing. But, but to the Jews, often they named their children after the father. John the Baptist in his case. And, and here comes his father, Zechariah, uh, out with a tablet because God had smote him where he couldn't talk for a time. He didn't believe the word of God, and, and, and the angel smote him, and, and he comes out with a tablet. His name shall be called John. And they said, none of your family is called by that name. Why do you call him John? And then suddenly, suddenly his mouth, his tongue is loosed again, and he begins to explain to them, this is what God said to do. Look at when it comes to the name of Jesus, he can't be named Joseph. He cannot be named for 
his predecessors. He can't be named according to the family because his name is not like that. His name is not just another name, but his name will supersede every name that's ever been spoken by lips on the planet earth. His name is above all names and that at his name every knee will bow. And listen, his name, they cannot make a mistake. Joseph, you must not, you cannot make a mistake. All of those before you have been waiting for this. And if you make a mistake about his name, we've got a problem. But call his name Jesus. He is Lord, God, Savior. He is the one who came to save us from our sin. You can't call him something else. He's got to be called Jesus. Can you say amen? I believe probably the most important job done by any man the most responsible thing that could have been done by mankind of most importance was to reveal the name of Jesus because his name reveals his identification let me tell you this about the Lord the more you know about him the more valuable his name becomes to you That's why you hear them out in the world. They're saying, oh, Jesus Christ, this and that. They have absolutely no idea who Jesus is. But the closer you get to him, the more hallowed his name becomes. And then when you begin to pray that prayer that the Lord gave, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And all of a sudden it begins to dawn on you that this isn't just a name. This is the hallowed name of eternity. This is the hallowed name of the Father of eternity. This is the hallowed name of the one who was and is and is to come. This is the self-existing God. This is the one who is over all things. This is the glory of heaven. He is the glory of earth. He is the great creator and his name is high and lifted up. No wonder when we sing high and lifted up in this place, the Spirit of God comes down in this house because that's exactly what he is. High and lifted up. You better get his name right. There's a lot of folks serving a lot of gods. A lot of ideas about a lot of gods. But you better get his name right. If you don't get his name right, you don't have the God of glory. I said, somebody said, well, you know, pastor, people are getting saved all, all over the world that don't even know the name of Jesus. No, no, I can't, I can't. I can't do it. I can't go there. Because there is no other name given among men upon the earth whereby you must be saved. So well, can't just people just call on God? No, there's too many gods. Can't you just listen? You know, God's so good. All roads lead to God. You know, every religion has good and it all leads to God. Well, it, it may lead somewhere. I don't know where all religions lead. But I do know this according to the scripture of God that there's just one name and one salvation. There's just one God and one spirit. There is just one thing that God is doing and that is under the name of Jesus. That name supersedes all. It's through all. It is in all. Listen, that name covers the time span of human existence from the center backwards and from the center forward. It is about him. It's for him. It's through him. His name is above. Get his name right. It stands for salvation. Get his name right. It stands for healing. Get his name right. It stands for wholeness. Get his name right. It stands for victory over sin. It stands for purity and holiness and power of the resurrection. His name stands for eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Joseph, you better get it right. Don't give us another name. And he said, all those songs that we sing, you know. I said, man, how, how come you just sing all those songs about Jesus? 
I'm sorry to tell you this morning, I don't have a song to sing about anybody else. Nobody else has been my Savior. Nobody else has been my mighty God. So we come in this house and we, we put all those words up there and it's just this, just continue this morning. How many, how many songs did we sing? Every one of them had to do with our, our commitment to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the glorifying of his name, the beauty of who he is. Listen, all of these things in Christ are going to come to pass. All of these things that are going to be featured in his life. But first, there he is. The answer to the ages. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. And lying in the manger. I don't have time this morning, at least y'all don't think I have time, to preach that sermon. You begin to understand. Somebody told me the other day, Pastor, you know, it, it's like everything connects, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, the golden thread that just weaves through everything in an Old Testament time. It's, it's no wonder that, you know, Herod came to the uh, scribes of the day and asked him, where's Jesus going to be born? Because it's there in an Old Testament. It's no wonder that, that we can go back now and see all those things. In their time, they're, they're struggling. They're seeing a part and a piece. and They see something about the Lord, but yet they don't see it all. But what an advantage that we have. Can you say amen? We can look back with focus and clarity, seeing the report of the ages gone by and seeing the one who became an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. But listen, that's just the beginning of the quest of knowing him. And I'm going to say something this morning. I, I, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but don't leave him in a manger. They progress to here, and then there he is lying in the manger. But if we leave him there, we don't progress. Well, I believe in Jesus. You know, I believe in Christmas and all the festivities thereof. And once a year, I really get really excited about that. But the quest to know him just begins with his birth. You're going to have a hard time knowing him walking in the Old Testament. Somebody say amen. There's some religion and brothers, I don't know their walk, you know, but there's, there's other brothers that believe that, that, you know, they live in an Old Testament and a New Testament and sort of, you know, a blend of two and, and take some of the laws of the old law and bring it up and, and you know, and it's all going to, kind of jammed together a little bit. No, it's just real clear for me. I, I just got one thing going. I just, I just find one thing in Scripture, and that is Jesus Christ and Him alone. I believe that it is Christ alone. Can the church say, man, I don't have a problem saying that. I don't believe anybody else is involved. I don't believe there's, there's something else out there that, you know, is another way. There is only one way. There is only one life. There is only one truth. And he was revealed to mankind. And so now Jesus laying in a manger, don't leave him there. Don't sit back and believe that this was the one that was to come. And now I'm done. I got him in a manger. I worship him every Christmas I worship him. Oh, that's not good enough. Can you say amen? But then Jesus started growing. And as he starts growing, he continues to reveal. And of the increase of him and his kingdom, there won't be any end. As he begins to increase. Listen to Luke 2.52. And Jesus progressed, increased in wisdom and in stature and favor before God 
and men, subjecting himself to learning, emptied himself for the purpose of becoming a man, and then subjected himself to learning. But I want you to know this, that as he began to learn, he also began to flourish. And as he began to grow, the greater the growth, the greater the manifestation. Because listen to me, even as a baby, he's the fullness of the godness bodily. And he's not just a part and a piece of what God's going to do. He is the central focus of everything that God has determined for mankind. Jesus Christ is central. Amen. Let's all give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. And so he's a brilliant child. He's a brilliant child and he sets himself to understand. And I don't know if when other kids are playing and whatever games they played, I'm sure they did. I'm sure that the old Jewish kids had some sort of a ball they kicked around, something they threw. It's just human nature. That's what we do. They were playing hide and seek and all the rest of the stuff and, and running around. But somehow, in the heart of Jesus, as he is growing, he's begun to understand. He began to find his place. And we'll find him at 12 years old. And he'll be down in the temple. And a 12-year-old boy really doesn't have much input. I don't know if we have any sitting out here this morning. But a 12-year-old boy has a small understanding of the things of God, but not Jesus. He begins to understand. He knows who his father is. He knows what he's doing about his father's business. He begins to, to astound them with his words, his questions, and his knowledge. Because it's this manifestation of who he is, as he grows, it becomes clear, more manifested of who he is as he grows and as he accomplishes his stature and as he accomplishes his young life you begin to see something more than what you saw there in the manger he was born there but listen he doesn't stop there and you don't stop there that's just a starting place that's not an ending place that's a starting place of the quest of the knowledge of Jesus Christ I can't leave him in the temple that's not enough I can't leave him there with the Jewish teachers and rabbis. And even though he's astounding them, the Lord will go home. And there he will grow some more. And, and Mark the chapter in the sixth verse, or sixth chapter and third verse rather. They said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, out there pounding nails, out there setting blocks, out there working Flesh, but something else is going on in him. He's growing in stature and wisdom and knowledge and grace. And as it begins to happen in his life, more and more, he's not just out there to pound nails and set bricks. We've got to take him further than that. I can't leave him down there. I can't leave my revelation of him down there. I can't leave my revelation of Jesus. If I can just figure out how he looked, maybe he was wearing sandals. Maybe he was wearing, what kind of a thing did he wear? If I can wear what he wore and look like he looked, I can't leave my revelation back there. I've got to get him to Jordan because something is going to happen in Jordan that's going to overshadow everything else that's ever happened to humankind. There's something coming in the revelation of Jesus Christ that is so powerful that it will supersede anything that's been done prior to that. I guess my point is this. Wherever you think you are in the Lord, whatever you think your knowledge of Him is, you can't stop there. If you stop there, you're done. If you stop there, revelation is over for you. And I say this with Peter, let's go on. Somebody say amen. Let's go on. God has more powerful proof of his plan and of his glory that's going to happen in Jordan. I mean, it happened in the birth. It happened in the immaculate conception of God in Mary's womb. And that was an awesome thing. 
but he's got more awesome things up ahead. Can you say amen? We're going to travel with him. We're going to travel that preceding word with him. We might go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but see, we're going to travel that preceding word. We get to Christ, and now he's beginning to grow. At this point in his life, he's done no miracle, no sign, no wonder, no healing. He hasn't even got up and taught about the kingdom. I mean, there's books that have been written. Some of the Catholic Church has some books that they've written of infancy and how he did great miracles when he was an infant. And it just isn't true. Because that hasn't been revealed yet. He hasn't come into his ministry yet. Do you see the proceeding of Christ as he grows? That now the manifestation is greater and greater and greater because of his kingdom, the increase. There shall be no end. It starts small, but it gets very, very big. And so the Lord has done nothing. You wouldn't look at him as any other man. I mean, other than any other man. You wouldn't say of him if you met him in Nazareth where he was raised. You probably wouldn't say of him that he's more than just a very studious young man. He's a great worker. He's a great family man. Thank God that he showed us an example. I don't believe in lazy Christians. Somebody say amen. Lord wasn't lazy. He did what he did, but he had done no wonders, no signs, no forgiving of sin, no raising from the dead. He's done nothing that would make him look like he's more than just any other man, but the manifestation is on its way. You see, I told you at the beginning, you don't know God at the first. You don't know him in his fullness. It's not one blast of knowledge of God, but it grows and it grows. And thank God, over the 40 years of my life that I've been studying about him, it has grown. I understand some things better than what I used to understand. I understand him a little better than what I used to understand. And I'm not done and you're not done because he who has begun a good work in you shall continue, continue, continue to perform it until the day of the Lord. And we receive that right now, Lord. We receive that right now. I guess you know what we're preaching about next Sunday. We didn't get to the Jordan and we got to get there. Something's going to happen there. It's going to change the destiny of you and I. Wow. Listen, don't get caught up. And I just put this down here so you can kind of have some fun with this. Don't get caught up in a web of Christmas. Christmas cards. Christmas carols. Christmas nativity scenes. Three wise men and a drummer boy and old Saint Nick. If any of that were true, which is not, it's not worth getting hung up there. Because all I can see is just a small revelation. He's at the manger, but I don't know much. But when he gets up out of that manger and begins to grow, wow, no wonder the book of Hebrews said he is an effigence of light. That light emits from him. That in him is the fullness. And you're not going to see the fullness in the manger, but as he progresses and grows, you're going to begin to see the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Say amen. Amen, amen, amen. We weren't instructed. You're going to get out a little early today. We weren't instructed to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Did you know that? 
Never does the Lord say, okay, put it down on the calendar, y'all. You know, December 25th, 3 B.C. No, I don't go for the December 25th anyway, but he didn't say to celebrate his birth because that's the beginning. But he did say to remember something, and that's way at the end. Remember his death. So don't get taken any idea of, I'm just going to know him just just here and not proceed any further. I'm good, Pastor. I don't know. I don't want to get all that. I don't want to get too involved. I've had people mention that. I don't want to get too involved. I, no. I don't want my kids to think that we're just too involved. I want them to be well-rounded. And then wonder why when they get 18, they're out there living their life like a devil. I don't want them to get too involved. I want my kids, I want every kid in this place to be so involved that they will be saturated with the idea that my life really is not important unless Christ is center. Can you say amen? That's what we're after. That's what we're after. He doesn't instruct us to celebrate his birthday to make it the pinnacle of our Christian faith. But it is the birthing place of the glory of God revealed, I'm going to use a Greek word now, revealed in the prosopon of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that prosopon is interpreted face, sometimes countenance, sometimes person. Let me just say this and I'm closing. You will never know God outside of Jesus Christ. No, I'm going to know spirit. No, no, no. But just one spirit and it's his. Well, I want to slip by him and get to God. No, no, no. When you see him, you see the Father. Because I want to go by him and get to the far. No, no, wait, no. No one comes prostom patera except in me, Jesus says. You can't even get anywhere outside of Jesus Christ. Would you come this morning and we're going to play, play something and sing. And I just want you to take a moment to reflect. We're going to pray and just reflect upon what we've said this morning on the word of God, the importance of Christ, the importance of his manifestation in our life. In these last days, which I believe are our last days, I really believe what I preached a couple Friday nights ago, it is very possible that we have a short span of time left. I'm going to tell you what your only hope is. Knowing Jesus Christ.